today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Even in the issues that you and I have faced in our walk of faith, don't we sometimes every once in a while kind of say, God, get them. There's a psalm that David writes that says, Lord, break their teeth. Okay, That's my favorite memory verse there. But, uh, you know, none of this escapes God's eyes. And though we wish, Lord, even even now would you take care of this issue, God has a plan and He has a purpose. Judgment completely has not come. Why? Because he's not wishing that any would perish, but that all would come to a saving knowledge of Christ. We can often take other people's negative actions towards us very personally. We wish condemnation and God's judgment on them right then and there. However, in today's message, Pastor David reminds us that God is more patient than we are. He sees our struggles, but wants for all people to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. He tarries now, but eternal judgment is coming for all. Do you love others with a heart like Christ's? Are you patient and wish even your enemies well? Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message from the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, In That Day. A man comes in, in the flesh of a man, with charisma, with influence, or persuasive words, so often can get people to do things that perhaps they wouldn't do otherwise. Yeah, even the wrong things. Midnight infomercials prove my point, okay? (laughs) You you look at this, they, they make absolute millions of dollars by persuading people to buy something that they normally wouldn't buy. You need this today. Today and today only, this is coming. And this is so wonderful, your life will never be the same again. So pick up your phone, call right now. I mean, just again, people are so, number one, what are you doing up so late watching this crazy stuff? (laughs) And if you are up late, have your spouse hide your credit card, okay? Here, here Paul is, is stating, man, he has this moral obligation to give thanks to God because of what's going on in their lives, for the change that he's seen in their lives. It was the spirit of God that was working within the hearts and the lives of these brothers and these sisters in the faith. And it wasn't just some external change that they're putting on a show. No, this is something from the very core of what they were. They were changing from the inside out. Their faith was real. Their love was real. And both of these attributes of real Christianity were evident to the world around them. It wasn't evident just because they came into the four walls of a fellowship together. 
and they learned Christianese and they learned just the right phrases and the walk and they had a huge monstrous King James Bible that, well, they didn't have them at the time, but you know what I'm talking about. They weren't playing a game. It was real in their lives because the persecution around them made it be real. You couldn't pretend you wouldn't pretend because your life or the life of your loved ones depended upon it. Their love, their their faith grew exceedingly. Their love abounded toward each other. It was being demonstrated both within the church and outside the church. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, we, we ourselves, we boast of you among the churches of God. We boast for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. That's That's got to be so cool. Paul uses them as an example to the other churches he ministers to. He's ministering to another church. Says, Man, I know you're going through troubles and trials, but let me tell you about that church over in Thessalonica. Those guys are going through some of the same stuff you are. Man, the Jews are coming at them from one side. The pagans are coming at them from the other. They've got natural and and problems just like you do. But man, their love for the Lord, it continues to increase. Their love for each other, man, it's shown in every way. That's the real heart. That's the real spirit of God working within them. Beloved, that's what I love to see continue to grow within this fellowship. That our faith isn't just simply something that we put on on Sunday morning or Wednesday evening as we walk through the doors here and suddenly that's who we are. But the faith of our lives is real and true through every situation of our lives and through all the times and the issues of our lives that we would be from the inside out, the reality and the truth of changed individuals growing and maturing for the glory of Christ. Even as Paul is bragging on them here, he knows there's going to be this constant strain from these persecutions and from these tribulations that are going to come in. And yes, even for them there in Thessalonica, it's going to wear on them. It's going to wear against their spirit. It's going to wear against their mind, just as it would for you and I. Let's face it. We here in this country, we've not really seen tribulation or persecutions. I mean, you may have had issues at work where they've told you, man, don't be talking about Jesus. Don't be talking about religion here. You know, you need to get that Bible off your desk or you can't have that sign. And maybe friends have turned against us because we've come to a saving knowledge of Christ or family members. But we've not seen the persecution that many in the world through the ages have seen. Where life is on the line, our freedoms are on the line, our family structure is very much on the line. Paul understood that in the midst of the trials and the persecutions that were going on for the church there in Thessalonica, he knew, man, it's a battle that comes against them. And so he assures them that those that are bringing this persecution, those that are bringing this tribulation on them, that has not escaped the eyes of God. God sees these things. Let's be real honest this morning. Even in the issues that you and I have faced in our walk of faith, don't we sometimes every once in a while kind of say, God, get them. There's a psalm that David writes that says, Lord, break their teeth, 
Okay, that's my favorite memory verse there. But uh, you know, <laughs> none of this escapes God's eyes. And though we wish, Lord, even even now, would you take care of this issue? God has a plan and He has a purpose. Judgment completely has not come. Why? Because He's not wishing that any would perish, but that all would come to a saving knowledge of Christ. He assures the church there that the actions, the the the, the, the situations of this persecution that they're involved in, it actually gives credence, it gives credibility to the righteousness of God's judgment that's going to come against those that are persecuting them. Look what he says in verse 4. We ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Then verse 5, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. That phrase there that Paul uses that's translated manifest evidence. It's a phrase that speaks again that, that he knows that something is a fact. It's proof. It's evidence. It's a verification. It's an indication. Yes. Manifest evidence of the righteousness or the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. On those who do not know God to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What we have here, I believe, is a twofold assurance that God is going to take care of business. He's going to take care of the situation. First of all, God sees those that are suffering in persecution for the gospel's sake. In the midst of that, they're showing themselves, because they're standing firm in their commitment to the Lord, they're showing themselves worthy of the kingdom of God. Not that in their suffering they're gaining salvation, but that through their suffering, they're showing that their faith is a real faith and not just a convenient faith. You see, my big fear for the Western church, particularly in the, over the last probably 60, 70, maybe 100 years, is that the Western church is filled with people that have a convenient faith, but not a real faith. You see, it's when persecution and trials come. That's when, as the saying goes, the the rubber meets the road. When persecution and trials come, it'll let you know whether your faith is a real faith or it's a convenient faith. Second assurance that he brings is the reality of the punishment of the wicked. We need to remember, we need to understand that a holy and a righteous God cannot do anything less than punish the wicked. 
He must punish the wicked. If he allowed the wicked to get away with their wickedness, it would literally discredit his own righteousness. If God is holy and righteous, and he is, then because of his holy righteousness, he must, con- he must punish those who continue to run in their wickedness. Those who don't come to receive the reality of Christ for their sin. They don't come with, at a point of repentance within their lives. You see, receiving Christ is much more than just signing the back of a card or saying a simple prayer uh, at, at the end of a service. Receiving Christ means that we have repented. We have turned from our sin and we have turned to Christ. In reference to the wicked, Paul writes here in verse 9. These, those, again, as he says, those that do not know God, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here in verse 9, he says, these shall be punished with a really bad time for a short while. That's not what it says, is it? Everlasting destruction. Everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. I've got to tell you right now that there are many within what is called the Christian church today that really struggle, have a really hard time believing in this everlasting or eternal punishment thing. Oh, really? God God wouldn't really do that. I mean, I know that that's in the Bible, but that's really not how God is. Even within the church, there's way too many people that know it's only going to be a short time, it's only going to be a little bit, or they believe in annihilation. And yet God's word is very plain in declaring that everyone will have an eternal existence. We all have an eternal existence. Some are going to exist for eternity in the presence and in the glory and in the majesty of Almighty God, while others are going to exist in all of eternity in suffering and in anguish and separate from experiencing any of the presence of God within their lives. Beloved, again, Jesus is coming. And as Paul tells us here up in verse 7, he's coming from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 9, very clear, very distinct. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Beloved, the truth should be nothing new to anyone who has sat under the teaching of the word for very long. This truth ought to be so evident within your life. If you've studied the word yourself, if you've been in Bible teaching churches or fellowships for very long, you ought to know absolute 
that this is the truth. This is the reality of, again, the plan and the purposes of God. The justice of God is shown all throughout the word of God. From Genesis all the way through Revelation. God's grace and his mercy are poured out on man continually as he seeks to draw man to himself. And yet man in their sinful selfishness, in their self-will, they continue to reject that grace, that free gift of God, the mercy of God that says, man, you're not going to get what you deserve. And that offer of love that God offers continues to reject it until finally they meet up with his justice and his righteousness. It's an interesting thing about God. We can reject and turn down his grace. We can reject and turn down his mercy. We can deny and and walk away from his love. But beloved, no man is going to walk away from his righteousness and his judgment at that day. No man. In reference to verse 9, we find that phrase, these shall be punished. It comes from a courtroom scene. It's jurisprudence says they're, they're, they're going to pay the consequences for some action. This is the punishment, again, that, that the guilty suffer for the evil they have done. Jude speaks of those who suffer punishment of eternal fire. Is the word of God true or is it not? Oh, it's just allegory. Beloved, it's not. It is so clear multiple places in the... <clears throat> The passage we're looking at today, Paul understands that the execution of that final judgment is going to be in a similar way, similar kind of a thing, that eternal, everlasting destruction. William Burkett, a strong Bible commentator of years gone by, he writes, it is called everlasting destruction, a dying life and a living death combined together. And their debt will never be paid. They will never come out of prison. They will be always satisfying, but never able fully to satisfy divine judgment. That's powerful. Adam Clark, another commentator, writes, it's not annihilation. It's not that we die and just we're gone. He says, it's not annihilation, for their being continues. They have eternal existence. We all have eternal existence. Green, in his commentary on the letters to the Thessalonians, he writes, this state to which the judged are assigned is variously described in the New Testament as a place of unquenchable fire, a fiery furnace, the blackest darkness that has been reserved forever. Fiery lake of burning sulfur. He says this graphic language appears inadequate at each point to describe the horrid nature of this state. No hope is held out for a second opportunity to escape or to obtain salvation. The verdict as its execution will be final. In the gospel, according to Mark in chapter 9, 
we find that Jesus speaking of that eternal place of judgment for the wicked. He quotes from Isaiah 66 when he speaks of the wicked and the non-believer being cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Beloved, in years gone by, some might say, well, man, that's, that's hellfire and brimstone preaching you're doing there, pastor. But I want to let you know this morning, it is holy biblical preaching because the Bible is so clear about it. The message of the warning of the destruction that awaits those that continue to reject the love of God offered through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as a payment for all of our sin. God's offer of grace is the only means that man can be saved. The only means. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not just becoming more uh, more gooder in your life. Okay, bad English, but it's still good theology. You can't be any more gooder. God's grace. Word tells us in John chapter 3. Oh, we know John three sixteen for God so loved the world. We know that one. What about 17 and 18? Verse 17 says, For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Because he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe, he's condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. You see, we come into this world sinners. Sinners by nature, sinners by choice. And until man comes to a point of brokenness before Almighty God, they remain in that condemned state. So what will you do? What have you done in your life? Do you really and truly place your trust, your whole faith in that completed work of Jesus Christ? Have you come to that point in your life where literally, figuratively, but but in the very reality of your heart, that you've bowed your knee before the reality of an almighty God who though he is righteous and just and you are worth being condemned for all eternity, that you've bowed your heart, your life before him and cried out, Lord, save me. I give my life to you. Acts chapter 4. Let it be known to you all. And to all the people. He's speaking to all the people of the world. That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Who was crucified. Whom God raised from the dead. He goes on to say there. There is no salvation in any other. For there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Love it until we come to the foot of the cross and give our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ, committing our hearts to him. There's no other way we're going to be saved. And for those that are not saved, the word is so clear of the destiny that awaits them. So my question to you this morning is, What does eternity hold for you? The glorious presence of a God whose love was demonstrated that he sent his only son? Or the fearful presence 
of a righteous judge. Well, our time with you today on The Open Word is almost over. You don't have to wait to hear more from the book of 2 Thessalonians. Pastor David's here to tell you how you can access our messages right now. Hey, thanks, Chris. All the messages you enjoyed here on The Open Word are available on our website. Just visit theopenword.com and click on Teachings. You can scroll through our archive and listen online, or you can download the teachings to take with you on the go. I've even provided my notes for most of the teachings so you can read right along. You might see something new your ears may have missed. Feel free to share any of my teachings if you feel it would benefit a friend or a family member. That website, one more time, is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment and ask you to consider being a partner of The Open Word. As we continue to spread the good news of the gospel through the airwaves, we want to make sure we're focused on Jesus first and our jobs second. That's where you come in. Would you commit to praying for Pastor David and those of us creating the open word? Pray also that those who are hearing about Jesus would have open hearts to receive his hope and grace. We'd also like to ask you to consider partnering with us financially. Any amount is useful and greatly appreciated. Find out more by visiting theopenword.com and clicking on support. Thank you for bringing this and us before the Lord in prayer. Join Pastor David next time to continue studying the book of 2 Thessalonians right here on The Open Word.